about the end of the month. Mm -hmm. Total failure. Everything I did. Work, the studying, four hours a night sleep in a dungeon. I've blown another year of eligibility. This entire year has been a waste. Uh, waste, huh? You don't get the fact. You just got one year of top quality education. Waste. Don't be wasting my time. Ain't you got some work to do? desperate. If I don't get in next semester, it's over. Done. Notre Dame doesn't accept senior transfers. Well, the job, kid. Chasing down your dream. I don't care what kind of job I did. If it doesn't produce results, it doesn't mean anything. I think you discover that it will. Maybe I haven't prayed enough. I'm sure that's not the problem. Praying is something we do in our time. The answer's come in God's time. Have I done everything I possibly can? Can you help me? Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. Clearly one of the top three movies ever made, uh, Rudy, and number one on the list of movies that make men cry. Uh, that, is, that is a classic. Um, that scene shows Rudy keeping the faith and trying to endure through some hardships. More on that in just a moment. But I want to start by doing something today we haven't been able to do for a while. And I know it, it, we're still dealing with this pandemic and uh, COVID, so I want you to do this with respect uh, and some space and distance. But... Wherever you are, whatever campus, whatever local site, here in West Des Moines, in our overflow rooms, wherever you might be, stand up if you're able, say hi to somebody around you and say, there is a God and I'm not him. Actually, you don't have to say that. Just say your name. It's been so long since we got to introduce ourselves to each other. Just spend a minute and say hello. Welcome them to hope. Be glad that they're here. Say hi. Oh, the joy in the room. The joy. Wow. Everyone's so happy. Get to know somebody you don't know. Say their name. Okay, that's enough. Sit down. Sit down. It's getting awkward. 
<laughs> we got to pace ourselves for the introverts, uh, and that'd be me too. <laughs> the extroverts are like, finally. Oh, thank you. It's been so long since we've been able to get up and say hi to the people around you. And it, it's actually biblical. You share the peace, and, and that's how they did it in biblical times. But the introverts are like, never do that again. Just it, <laughs> This has been bliss during this pandemic that we didn't have to greet people, and I don't want to do that again. But um, it's important. And this is a good place to start, actually. Rudy sought out counsel in church as he tried to keep the faith and hold on to hope and, and uh, avoid the temptation to quit. The priest, Father Kavanaugh, who, true story, was the president of Notre Dame University, counsels Rudy and says, there is a God and I'm not him. That, that's true. This God is the one who has answers to questions that we can't answer. But it's original sin. So we're going to talk about the end times today, the apocalypse, the, the, the Revel, book of Revelation, and, and the apocalyptic things Jesus says in the Gospels. But in order to make sense of those, it, it's not a bad place to start back in the Garden of Eden. There's these trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the original sin, the one thing God says we can't do is bite into the forbidden fruit, which is a story about us. It's not just Adam and Eve. Adam in the Hebrew means mankind, and Eve means of mankind. And so this is us in the garden, not just them. It's them, but it's us too. And so we all take a good bite into that forbidden fruit of, of this longing to know what only God knows. But there is a God, and I'm not him, and, and neither are you. So God says, just trust me on this. Have faith. There are some things that are bigger than what you're ever going to be able to take in this side of heaven. And so I'm going to need you to trust me. I'm going to need you to accept your condition as being under God instead of being as God. But that continues to factor in. Original sin isn't just a one and done thing. It, it repeats over and over again. This, this happens and it rears its ugly head when, when we try to figure out when it's all going to end. Try to figure out when Jesus says he's coming back, he's, he's going to return the second coming of Jesus. We, we, we try to map it out and, and figure out the dates. And so, you know, th this line, this dash marks the spot where we are today, 2021. And here we are moving into the future, the timeline. So we open up the book of Revelation and the apocalyptic literature in the Bible. And we try to figure out, well, when's this rapture thing going to happen? Because I read it in the Left Behind book, so you know it's true. Those books are awesome, man. They're page turners. I, I remember those. This is a few decades ago. But my favorite part about those books is, is they zoom in on one particular congregation. The senior pastor is raptured to heaven so he can avoid the tribulation. And all the associate pastors have to remain because they aren't as strong in their faith. <laughs> I love that. I think that's just... <laughs> uh, totally kidding. I, it might be the other way around, but... So, so we try to map it out. We try to know what the Bible says over and over again. We don't get to know. Jesus says, you, you're not going to be able to figure it out. You, you won't know. But I'm coming soon. So, so we do this rapture thing, and then we say that's going to lead to seven years of, of a tribulation. And I'm sorry for my scribbles here, but you're going to hopefully get the idea. And then after the tribulation, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign is the... Pretty common interpretation that's, that's, that's kind of summarized in the Left Behind series, the premillennialists, dispensationalists. And so they said there'll be a thousand year literal reign and then Jesus is going to come back and that'll be the end of the world as we know it. Those are the premillennialists. 
And then there's the post-millennialists who say, oh, no, no, it's totally nonsense. And they get in big fights about it, and they split churches over it, and they say, it, you've got it all wrong. It's not rapture pre-millennium. It's not pre-millennial. It's post-millennial. We're, we're somehow living in the millennium right now, so, so this is it, and, and it's all leading uh, to the tribulation, or we're in that right now, and then Jesus is going to come back. So it's sooner than you think. We're, we're post-millennialists, and there are fewer post-millennialists and pre-millennialists, easy for me to say, but there's significant percentages of both. And I think it's the devil's game to say if you're one or the other, you can't hang out with the other. But that's not biblical. Then, just to make things really interesting, there's the amillennialists, a meaning not, that there isn't going to be a millennium, that it's not a literal one, that it's symbolic. And they emphasize that when you read the book of Revelation, it says right from the beginning, if you're going to take scripture seriously, that Jesus is revealing this uh, future understanding of, of his return through an angel to the Apostle John, and the Apostle John is writing it down. He's revealing it. So the amillennialists say when it comes to the dragons and the beasts and the two witnesses and the thousand-year reign, that's symbolic. And they say any, anybody who knows anything about literature says if you want to take literature seriously, you have to read it for the way it was written. You can't read something that was meant allegorically or symbolically. You can't read it literally and come to the right conclusion. And so they're amillennialists. This is the camp I land in. I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> Here, here's, here's, here's why I think that that's actually a faithful biblical view. Is if you're premillennial and you think that's it, man, and you're, you're looking for the rapture and you listen to all these religious broadcasters who 98% of their teaching is on this timeline and they're trying to figure out something that the scriptures say you can't figure out, but it sells a lot of books and it raises their ratings. And so there might be some ulterior motives in there. And then they can also sell you their apocalyptic stock of canned goods and, and survival supplies that you can bring into your bunker. Look, I mean, if that's your thing, then God bless you. It's your thing. But let me just say this. Why is it the people who are premillennialists who say there's going to be a rapture so all the true believers won't have to go through a tribulation, why do they need post-apocalyptic supplies? If they're all going to be raptured into heaven, what's the concern? Shouldn't they just know because their faith is so strong that they're going to skip over the tribulation and the millennium and they're just going to go straight to heaven with the senior pastor? I don't know about you, but if World War III breaks out or nuclear annihilation, I hope one of the bombs hits me on top of the head. Because do you really want to be around when you're the last person on earth and try to make a way through? I'd rather be in God's kingdom. I, I'd rather be there, but that's just me. That's not the Lord. But I'm a pan-millennialist because I think the pre-millennialists might be right. I think the post-millennialists might be right. I think the amillennialists might be right. But as I read scripture and I try to read it as carefully as I can, and I've been studying this for a long time. The timeline is not like this. When I was in seminary, I took an elective with one of the most brilliant apocalyptic authors and scholars on the face of the earth today, Dr. Craig Kester. I was just so blessed to sit down at his feet. And he says, the problem with this timeline approach is it isn't biblical. 
you cannot read the book of Revelation. Any fifth grader who can read and interpret would read it if they haven't been influenced by religious broadcasters and authors who have an agenda. Any fifth grader or above could read it and say, there is no timeline. Try this. Let me ask you this. Do you spend more time listening to what people say, the apocalyptic literature in the Bible says? Or do you spend more time actually reading the word of God on this and studying the scriptures? Because if you actually read the book of Revelation, if you actually read the apocalyptic literature in the gospels, and there's entire chapters dedicated to it where Jesus talks about his return and what's going to happen, it's not just designated to the last book of the Bible. There's Old Testament books that focus on this. There's epistles that focus on this in the New Testament. It's not a straight, chronologically ordered, neat and orderly timeline where we try to put the puzzle pieces together, right? Where we say, well, here's this current event. Here's what's going on. And we lose, we lose our, our, our bearings, our, our Bible-based bearings. Let's go back to Rudy for a moment and use, his, use him as an example. He's up against it. He's, he's facing tribulation because he's got a big dream. It's a God-sized dream. And it's not just Rudy's dream that he wants God to bless. I believe if you look at Rudy's life, it's God's dream through Rudy. Regardless, Rudy wants to realize the dream. His dream is simple. He wants to play football for the University of Notre Dame. Now that's a pretty big dream because it's one of the most elite college football programs on the face of the earth. Sorry, Hawkeye fans, too soon. I'm sorry, I really am. I love you. I was cheering hard for the Hawkeyes last night. We got Hope uh, folks on that team, and, and I'm always cheering for wherever Hope folks end up. That was a heartbreaker. Wolverines, shame on them for doing that to us. That is just wrong, just, just going all out like that. That's just wrong, but we were there, and that was nice. At least we're not like the Gophers. So we had that going for us. That was just for fun, because I know a lot of you are from Minnesota, and you still cheer for the Gophers. You're in Iowa now, okay? So here's, here's how that works. So, so he wants to play for Notre Dame, Rudy does, but there's a serious set of problems. One is Rudy is a pretty average high school student, doesn't have the test scores to get into an elite university like Notre Dame, where admissions get denied, you know, high percentages of the time. Secondly, he's average-sized. He's not that athletic. He was a good football player in his high school team, led his team in tackles, but as he's told later in the movie, you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing, you don't have a lick of athletic talent. But it's still his dream. He still wants to play for Notre Dame. It's what he's wanted to do his whole life. He's memorized the Gipper speech, and he, he's got it all down, and he's getting no support from the people closest to him. Well, his best friend was supporting his dream, but he died in a tragic factory accident where they both worked, trying to make money so Rudy could go to college at Notre Dame and play football. His dad tells him his dream is dumb. His girlfriend dumps him and starts dating his brother. His other brother mocks him for having this dream. He says, look at you. You're a Rudiger. You're not going to play football for Notre Dame. But Rudy keeps the faith. Let me say that again. He keeps the faith. Because that's the whole point of the apocalyptic literature in the Bible. That we would keep the faith when we're up against it. Here's what our Bible reading for today says in, in, the, in, in Dr. Peterson's amazing translation in the message. Staying with it. That's what is required. Stay with it to the end. 
as you face tough times, as you face persecutions, as you face everything you're up against, you won't be sorry, you'll be saved. Sometimes, I mean, when we look around this world or when you look individually at what you're up against or even you combine those things, we feel like Linus saying to Charlie Brown in this cartoon, did you ever have the feeling of impending doom? Like, is this it? Honestly, have you asked that question a little more frequently than you did before the pandemic? It's the pandemic, and it's not just the pandemic. It's wars and rumors of war, the way the Bible talks about it. It's, it's the apocalypse, right? When you think of the apocalypse, what do you think of? Hollywood movies and, and video games and religious broadcasters talk about the apocalypse. Like, you know, it's explosions and bombs and, and zombies and, and who knows what else. And there's, there's all this stuff happening. It's, just, it, it's this just dark, kind of dystopian sort of existence. Do you realize that's nowhere close to the definition of the word apocalypse? This will blow some of your minds. Do you know what apocalypse actually is as we move through it and we look at these things because the predictions are coming people are saying no go ahead prepare for the end of the world they even give the exact date even though the bible says you can't do that the end is coming november 23rd 2016 well that turned out to be wrong (laughs) and then there's the people on the other side who said actually the end isn't near that's also wrong biblically speaking So we have an apocalypse problem in the world today. The first part of the problem is it's overhyped and misleading. There's a lot of people who say the main focus of the Bible, the main focus of your Christian faith ought to be figuring out this timeline. Here's the way Dr. Kester pointed us to it. And the great thing about Dr. Kester is he would do it and he would say, what do the scriptures say? Let's read the whole book of Revelation. And not just try to puzzle piece some things together with with current events and say there's a communist army in China that's now the biggest in the world and then there's Russia and and there's Iran and there's North Korea and and then there's Israel and how does that all fit in and what's going on there and then there's the United States and, and, and Venezuela. There's all these different things and these movements and so let's figure out where they show up in the book of Revelation and let's plug them in as puzzle pieces and put this all together in the timeline. Then we'll know. Original sin. Then we'll know what God has told us over and over again. You're going to have to trust me on this one. You're going to have to keep the faith the way Rudy did. Even though he continually got denied. He'd apply for admission at Notre Dame, denied. He'd apply the next semester as he went to this community college, denied. Applied the next semester, denied. Denied, denied. So he goes and talks to Father Kavanaugh. And that's the clip you saw at the beginning of the sermon. Father Kavanaugh says... I can't give you what you want. You're just going to have to keep the faith. There is a God. I'm not him. So stop putting your faith in people for these bigger than this world things. The literal definition of apocalypse is not explosions and dystopian existences and, and worlds and World War III. The actual definition of the apocalypse is in this picture. It's more like This picture, a happy young couple doing a big reveal that they're pregnant. Do you get it? Ice, ice, baby. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty creative. I kind of like that. You just got to stop, collaborate, and listen, and you'll get it. (laughs) So, So you say, well, what does this have to do with the apocalypse? Literally, apocalypse means 
a revealing. The big reveal. That's where we get the word revelation. The book of Revelation is the book of apocalypse. It's an unveiling. It's a lifting of the curtain so you can see the movie. It's this showing you what's going to be. It's a revealing. Typically we say apocalypse means it's the end, it's the finish. No, it's the revealing about the things that are going to come. It isn't about putting puzzle pieces from current events together and trying to figure out where we are in the timeline and whether we're pre-post A or like me, pan. Because as Dr. Kester said, if you actually track it, and I test, test this out. Go home and read the book of Revelation if you don't read, believe me. And try to map out the timeline. I'll tell you how it's going to go. You're going to come along after you get through the first three chapters where John says, I'm writing this not for 21st century Americans. I'm writing this for the first century Christians in seven specific churches that actually existed in Asia. And then you turn the page to chapter 4 and there's trouble and tribulation. And you get to the kingdom of heaven and it's awesome. And you're like, well, that's got to be the end. Wow, we're only, you know, chapter 6, chapter 7. There's these seven seals and signs and all these things. And now we're in heaven. What are we going to do with the last 14 chapters? Well, it goes back. And now there's tribulation again. And, and then it weaves around. The, and now you're back in heaven. And then it falls down again and it goes back. I can do this without even looking because I've read it so many times. And it goes around and around and around. And this, this is what you're going to get if you try to map out the book of Revelation. And it's on purpose. Because God doesn't want us to know. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to keep the faith. Like Rudy did. Even though everybody around him told him there's no way you're going to be able to do it. He wants us to hold on to hope. He wants us not to quit. He wants us to realize who's in our corner. The king of all kings and the lord of all lords and his name is Jesus and people run up to come to his cross right when they when they hear about it they can't stay away that's all right I love the passion and the enthusiasm because this is where we are somewhere in here but I don't want you to lose sight of this the bible says Jesus says in our bible reading for today it's going to turn out really good for you If, like Rudy, you keep the faith, if you hold on to hope, if you don't quit, if you stay connected to Jesus Christ, the one and the only one who has the power to overcome these enemies that we can't defeat. It's not to minimize what we can do as a world or how hard we should work to try to bring an end to the pandemics, to try to bring an end to wars, to try to bring peace to violence, to try to do the justice to injustice. Yes, fight the good fights. Fight them for everything you got. But there is a God and you aren't it. Because no matter how good we are, we aren't going to be able to produce this. Which is to lead us finally into a kingdom where there is no tears. There are no tears. There is no suffering. There is no pain. There is no death. There is no heartache. So we have two apocalypse problems. The one is it gets overhyped and it's misleading because it's almost every American religious person thinks it's this. And that is just not biblical. It's absolutely this. When you read it seriously, when you take God's word seriously, this is the timeline you're going to come up with. Impossible to navigate. Impossible to figure out where you are. Just the way God wants it. Because God wants you to remember there is a God and you're not it. 
Put your faith in me. Let this be a faith-growing experience. The whole thing about when Jesus is coming back and when he'll come to judge the living and the dead. But there's an equally dangerous kind of conclusion here. Say, well, if it's all good and it's all fine and I'm pan-millennialist, that's biblical, that's faithful, that's good, then I'm just going to underestimate the whole thing and I'm not going to be prepared. It'd be like saying to a woman who's eight and a half months pregnant, well, you haven't given birth yet, so I'm going to conclude you never will. It's just not going to happen. We have been waiting for eight and a half months. And you keep saying you're pregnant, and the doctor keeps saying you're pregnant, and there's all these signs, and there's all this stuff that's going on, but it hasn't happened. And we want it to happen, and it hasn't happened. A woman who was here last night at the five o'clock service, the Saturday service, came up to me after the service and goes, I am exactly eight and a half months pregnant. And it's going to happen for sure. <laughs> it better happen. And so it will. We prayed and, you know, hope that that, you know, goes really, really well. It's going to happen. Are, are we six months into this pregnancy? Eight and a half months? Two months? Three months? We don't get to know. But it's going to happen. Here's the mistake too many Christians make, especially when they get misled and go back to this timeline. They say, oh, well, there's no way it's going to happen for two or three years because a bunch of things happen to happen in Israel first. And then a bunch of things have to happen in Russia and China and the United States. And the things need to turn over. And these two witnesses need to show up in our narrow interpretation of exactly what that'll mean. That's really dangerous. Because as I read Scripture... I'm convinced it could happen before lunch today. Jesus could come back. And I would not be faithful in my job if I didn't tell you that. Which, of course, begs the follow-up question. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Because he could be back before the end of this sermon. And if I keep going like this, there's a good chance. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your judge, your maker? So well, that's intimidating, and that's why I don't read the apocalyptic literature of the Bible. That's why I don't even want it. It's so confusing. It's so messed up. It's a little scary. It's a lot scary. What do you mean, am I ready? It's kind of scary. Well, what if I'm not? Does that mean I'm going to hell? Does that, what, what does that mean? It, what, what's going on? I mean, I couldn't think of a more scary thought. You've missed the point. You've missed the whole point. Because it isn't the apocalyptic literature of the Bible about roadmaps and timelines and whether you're pre or post or amillennial. Those words don't exist in the Bible. You want to know some other words that actually the Bible does say? Jesus says, don't let anyone, next screen, mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and saying the time has come. Don't believe them. Don't believe the people who tell you they know. Run away from them. Jesus goes on to say in Mark's gospel, no one knows, more specifically, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven know. I don't even know. The Son, Jesus says, only my Father in heaven knows. Next verse, so therefore, since you don't know when that time will come, be ready. Be on guard. Stay alert. I'm on your side. If you belong to me, the story is going to end really well for you. And so this is the point of the book of Revelation and all the apocalyptic literature. It's the name that's on the walls of our church buildings around here. It's hope. 
that you hold on to that hope. That you don't look at the things happening in the world and say, we have no hope. There's no way out. There's no win here. There's no victory. This is it. This is, this is the zombie apocalypse. This, this, it's all caving in. There's no way. We'll, we'll never get out of this. Keep the faith. Since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay alert. How do we do that? What do we do to get ready, to be prepared? The good news is, this is a lot easier than you think. I think it starts by learning and dismissing the, the misleading information that's out there. It's not just the word apocalypse, it's, it's the Antichrist. I mean, most American Christians think the Antichrist is the beast and the Re book of Revelation must have all sorts of things to say about who the Antichrist is. And there's been all sorts of speculation over the years. It was Mikhail Gorbachev uh, back when I was in seminary because he had that mark on his forehead and it must be the mark, you know, of the 666, the number in the book of Revelation. And then people said, oh no, it depends on your politics. It's a Republican or it's a Democrat. Ronald Wilson Reagan, there's six letters in each of those three names. <gasps> or they go the other way. And, you know, it's Barack Obama. He's the Antichrist. Christ or, or whatever it might be and, and they make up all these things, convenient always, based on your politics but also a total misread of scripture. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world any such, per, any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Not the book of Revelation. Do you know how many times the book of Revelation mentioned the Antichrist? Zero! Not once does the book of Revelation say even a word about who the Antichrist is or even name the Antichrist. The only time that word shows up in the Bible is in the epistles leading up to the book of Revelation, 2 John and elsewhere, where it says there are multiple Antichrists. In fact, there always have been, the Bible says, and there always will be. There are anybody who stands against Jesus. Get it? Antichrist? They're anti-Jesus. Anyone who's anti-Jesus is an Antichrist, according to God's word. But of course, if you listen to all the misleading information out there, it's some sort of evil force who's going to come and crash the world, and it's going to lead to this battle of Armageddon. Do you know there is no place called Armageddon in, in the entire history of humanity? You say, well, that's because it's a future event. It's going to happen in the future. There's going to be this battle of Armageddon, right? Because that's what happens in the movies. Battle of Armageddon, if it's literal, then we know who's going to win. If it's symbolic, then we're really getting tripped up. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the mark or the number of the beast. It's the number 666, the Bible goes on to say. And so all these people come up with all these conclusions. Even, somebody once even said it's Barney the Purple Dinosaur. <laughs> he loved everyone too much, I guess. But if we remember that this text, the book of Revelation, was written for first century Jewish communities, because that's what Revelation 2 and 3 actually says it was written for, then we have to know something about those Jewish cultures. And in those Jewish cultures, everybody name had a, everybody's name had a number to it. And you would know this. So if you had a name, you would know that there was a number that corresponded with your, your name. There was a number that went with your name. So maybe your name is the number 722. Some people, one in particular, if you add up the letters of his name, adds up to 666. He happened to be the Caesar named Nero who was executing Christians simply because they had faith in Jesus Christ. The mark of the beast. 
666. The one who kills Christians. The one who persecutes them. The one who comes after God's people. Maybe there are more beasts in the future. Maybe they will come. Maybe there will be more Nero types. And that's not good. What's good is the whole point of this literature in the Bible is you're on the right team if you belong to Jesus Christ. You're backing the right horse. Skip ahead two slides if you would please, Mary. The end of the world is coming soon. Don't underestimate it. Be prepared. But then 1 Peter 4 goes on to say, Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in all your prayers. This is how you prepare. Talk to God. He's given you this incredible gift of prayer. Talk to him about your your sorrows, your tribulations, your challenges. It's what Rudy did when he was on his last straw of hope. Where did he go? He went to church. He, He looked up. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where will my help come from? Oh, my help comes from the Lord, the question is answered in Psalm 121. The maker of heaven and earth. Rudy gets to the point where he knows, I I can't do this. I'm going to need a a higher power. I'm going to need God. I'm going to need my faith. And his faith and his hope is well placed. So he talks to God and he prays. Prayer is important, but even more important, most important of all the Bible says, how do you get ready to meet Jesus if he comes before lunch? Most important of all, continue to show deep love. Everyone say deep love. To show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That wouldn't be a bad thing to repeat either. Let's say that together wherever you are. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love more. Love God more. This is what Jesus says. It shouldn't be a big surprise. When he was asked to talk about what the greatest commandment is, he said love. He didn't say figure out your place on the timeline. He didn't say bite into the forbidden fruit and try to be God when you, instead of just trusting God. He didn't say uh, let fear overwhelm you and, and lose hope and quit and say there's no way this could ever get better. You're a Christian. Which literally means if you believe that you belong to Jesus Christ. And so you belong to the one who promises, I will win a victory over death. Not just my death when they crucify me on a cross, but through faith you belong to me. And so what happens to me happens to you. And if you belong to me, Christian, which is literally what Christian means, then because I rise from the dead, you will too. You're on the right team. So you don't lose hope. And you keep the faith in this. You don't keep the faith in you figuring it out or me figuring it out or finding some religious broadcaster to figure it out for you. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You put your faith in the one who gives you a hope that's worth holding on to. And the one who says, you do not quit on me. You hold on to this. No matter how bad things get in this world, no matter how dark the news gets, you remember how your story ends. You might be in the convoluted maze of the chaos of this fallen world right now. You might feel like there's no way out. But I'm telling you, there is. And I'm it. Most important of all, Show love for me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus says. That's the greatest commandment. Have this deep love. And it's inspired by the love that God has for you. I will not leave you alone. I will remember who you are. I will call you out by name. And the second is equally important. Love the people around you. Stop acting like the rest of the world, Christian. 
says, well, we'll love the people we agree with, we'll hate the people we disagree with, and we'll even try to justify it. We'll say, because they're leading us to the Armageddon. They're leading us to the apocalypse, even though I know nothing biblically about what those terms actually mean. we got to get this right. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. That's how simple it is. And that's the best way you can get prepared to meet Jesus. Martin Luther was asked once way back in the 16th century, the guy who started the whole Protestant Reformation. Dr. Luther, the question came, what would you do if you knew the end of the world would come tomorrow? Jesus was going to come back. And Luther calmly responded, I'd go and plant a tree. Why would you plant a tree? The tree's not going to survive. It's because that's what I was planning on doing today anyway. And my spiritual house is in order. I'm ready. And Luther wasn't arrogantly saying I'm ready because my faith is so superior and it's so strong and I'm so moral and I'm so religious and I'm so wonderful. His spiritual house was in order because he knew how much God loves him. And that's the thing that inspired the whole Reformation. To remind us of what the Bible actually says, what God's word actually reveals. Apocalypses. <laughs> what it tells us about who we are and who our God is. What keeps us from this deep love? Well, here's the short list that, that I thought about all week. Number one, the enemy of God, the devil, he doesn't need to make you an atheist. He just needs to get you really busy. The busier, the better, because it'll distract you from God. It'll distract you from taking time to read scripture. It'll distract you from coming to church. It'll distract you from being in a small group, Bible study. It'll, it'll distract you from serving and volunteering and being a part of the mission of the church. You would, but you're just too busy. It's the devil's game. Don't let him pull you in and drag you there. Number two, what keeps us from deep love? The enemy of God says, just follow the crowd. They know what they're doing. Listen to the wisdom of the world. It's superior. There's no wisdom that's higher than the wisdom of this world. Except that there is. It's the timeless wisdom of God's word. Of the God who tells us, who else can heal us from these things? Who else can give us victory over these enemies that, that nothing in this world can defeat? Who else can, can overcome and conquer your death? Who else can wipe out and forgive your sins? Follow the crowd? Are they going to be able to do that for you? No, follow Jesus. When we follow the crowd, it keeps us from deep love. It keeps us from being prepared. It keeps us from walking with this confidence that comes from knowing God's amazing grace is for me. And it's for you. Third, what keeps us from this deep love? When the devil tells us to keep score, hold grudges, and get revenge. And that's kind of the key. Fourth, it's to desensitize our eyes and ears. You know, I was going to show you some videos. I tried to find some on YouTube uh, of the big reveal to make the point that that's really literally, biblically, what an apocalypse is. It's a big reveal. You know, uh, couples sharing the good news of their pregnancy or couples doing the reveal and having a balloon that pops and it turns blue or it pops and it turns pink so it's a boy or it's a girl. But I couldn't find any that were clean enough. I mean, the language... Anything that was even PG rated. Because over and over again on these videos, I, I must have looked for an hour. There's an hour I'll never get back. It, it turns into F-bombs. Getting dropped left and right. Here's the thing about F-bombs. They're not even bombs anymore. They're just adjectives. 
We just carelessly throw them out there like it's just an emphasis. You say, oh, well, come on, Christians can cuss, right? But what does this say about what's in your heart? What does that say about the darkness that's in there, if that's what keeps coming out? Worse yet, as I'm watching these videos, people taking the name of the Lord in vain, which is a commandment. Not, don't do it. It's on my top ten list, God says. Stop using my name as an expression or, or, or to, to announce delight or, or, or surprise or shock. We desensitize our ears and our voices to language. We desensitize our eyes to violence and that we see on screens. And then that leads to the devaluation of life. So is it any wonder that every once in a while people come forward and they say, well, as long as people are making money, if some people have to die, that's just the way it goes. That's not deep love. That's not the way of Jesus Christ. Number five. We say, because we give in to the temptation of the enemy of God, that image, especially online, on social media, is everything. Do you know, this was on 60 Minutes several weeks ago, that that former executive, like founders of Twitter and other social media platforms, you know, the big ones, Facebook and, and TikTok, they, they've walked away from it because they saw how dark it was. It doesn't mean all of it's dark, that all of it's bad. There's good there too. But, but underneath it, they, they will, they've said, they've been interviewed, they say, I will not allow my kids to get on social media until they're in high school. I won't allow it. I won't even let them have phones, and we'll put big boundaries around those phones even when they're in high school because I know the agenda. I know what they're trying to do, and it's crushing the spirits of our youth. Can you imagine, those of you who are my age or, or around there, how much more challenging it would have been to grow up and to go through all the peer pressure of youth with social media in your back pocket all the time? Listen to me, junior high, senior high, uh, younger, God loves you. God loves you just the way you are. You are beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You do not need likes and followers in order for you to know how much God thinks of you and how much God loves you. Start seeing yourself the way your creator sees you. And say, if people like it, great. If they don't like it, great. It doesn't matter. Because God loves me. God loves me just like this. Six. Oh man, that's a whole series of sermons someday. We stand against objectifying women, which is good, but then we give a free pass to pornography. How does that logic work? Somebody please explain that to me. We do a good thing by saying you can't talk to women like that in the workplace. You can't talk to them anywhere. They're equal. You can't do that. That's a good thing. But then we're like, yeah, but porn, you know, that's a harmless sin. Ridiculous. And it's the temptation of the devil. It's like, I don't need to make you an atheist. I just need to distract you from the stuff that gives life, from the stuff that fulfills your soul. Seven, we medicate our sadness and our loneliness with alcohol, with painkillers, with other drugs. Alcohol and painkillers are drugs. Eight, and finally and most importantly, we underestimate the power of Jesus Christ. It's the season of Advent. We've got two Advent candles lit. And the Advent wreath reminds us that love is patient. To be patient. I remember when I was a little kid, <laughs> the Advent wreath in church is lit. And it's just like, come on, hurry up. Because once all those candles are lit, it's time to open presents. 
I mean, and that's what it's all about, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. It's, it's young. So the Advent wreath reminds us to be patient. Do you know what Advent literally means? It means arrival. We patiently and faithfully hold on to hope. And we don't quit no matter what we're up against while we wait to celebrate the arrival of Jesus Christ at Christmas. But it's also not just the first arrival of Jesus where he was born in a manger and humbly laid you know, amidst the, the, the animals and in the most humble of conditions and hardly anybody noticed except those who were around him. He came quietly and peacefully and humbly to change the world. But the second time the Bible says won't be like that. You will know. You will not miss it. He will not humbly show up in a corner of a pocket of the world, uh, you know, to a, to a humble woman named Mary. He's going to show up with the full power of the universe, the creator of the universe, to turn this upside down world right side up, to bring in justice to justice, to, 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 to overcome death with life and, and sin with grace and darkness with light. When it happens, you'll know. Don't worry about that. You won't miss it. So we patiently wait. That's what Advent is all about. That's why I'm preaching on this right now. Advent is about us anticipating the celebration of Christmas, but it's also about us anticipating the second arrival, the second coming of Jesus. And ultimately, if we're reading the Bible right, the apocalyptic literature of the Bible right, it leads us to hope. Our hope is well placed because it's in Jesus Christ. So keep the faith. Don't quit on God. Hold on to hope. Rudy did. And you know, I don't think you need me to tell you how the story ends. But what kind of a person would I be if I talked about him this much in a sermon and didn't show you the end of the movie? <laughs> you know how that goes, right? All the fans at Notre Dame, because Rudy kept the faith. And he walked on, and he wasn't going to make it, even as a walk-on. And then one of the coaches just said, but he's got such a heart. The defensive backs coach says, I don't want him. So the defensive line coach says, I'll take him. I'll make him a defensive end at like 165 pounds for Notre Dame. And he'll do practice squad. And he'll be like the tackling dummy for these future NFL offensive linemen and the people coming after him. And he just picked himself up over and over again, practice after practice. And his dream was, I got to run out of the tunnel. I got to come out to a game because when you're on the practice squad, you don't get to dress. You don't get any of the glory. You get all the hard work, but you don't get any of the glory. You don't get to put a uniform on on Saturday and run out of the tunnel with the team and hear the band and hear the, the fans cheering, tens of thousands of them wildly. Hey! it's you it's this big dream long story shorter he perseveres and he gets put on the actual game squad team he gets to dress put on a uniform coach Dan Devine there's no way he's going to play he even says that to one of the assistant coaches, like, can we, we're winning. We're beating Georgia Tech 24 to 3. Can't we put Rudy in for the last play of the game? There's seven seconds to go. Absolutely not, Coach Devine says. There's no way. He just should be glad he got to dress and run out of the tunnel. But yeah, you remember what happened? Rudy. All the fans started shouting, come on, do it with me. Rudy, Rudy. Okay, hold it. 
I believe when Jesus wins this victory and comes back to conquer the enemies our world can't defeat, that all who have kept the faith, you I hope, and belong to him and haven't quit, will be ushered into the kingdom of heaven where a heavenly chorus, a multitude of angels, will shout out your name. Your name. And it'll make this glimpse of heaven that you're about to see seem like just a warm-up act at best. But it is a fun metaphor, and it's going to make some men cry. Take a look. It's occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name Rudy. Dan Rudy, a walk-on senior, subject of a future article in yesterday's student newspaper, The Observer. After toiling for two years at Carnegie right. Field and Go get it, kid! kept the faith. He held, on, he held on to hope. He was up against it. He didn't quit. How are you doing? You keep the faith. No matter how bad it is for you today. I know for some of you it's really bad. You just remember whose team you're on. You remember what you've got coming. You don't quit on God. You hold on to hope. Here's a, a glimpse, a, a foretaste. That's what the Bible says, that the Lord's Supper communion is a foretaste of the heavenly feast to come. 
where you will be called out by name. Do not be afraid. Don't go back. Do not be afraid. I've called you by name. You are mine. Your name will be chanted by the angels in heaven. And, and then it says at the end of the apocalypse, the revealing, the book of Revelation, to all who are thirsty, I'll give freely from the springs of the water of life. And I'll be their God. And they'll be my children. Perry, Perry, Alyssa, Alyssa. Three syllables are harder. You, your name. You, God says, I know you by name. I've got you. Don't give up on me. That's the point of the apocalyptic literature of the Bible. All of it. It all points to that hope. So you keep the faith in the one who in the night in which he's betrayed took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it for all to eat, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. So this is the body of Christ given for you for just that, the forgiveness of all your sins. Let's receive it together. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Receive it with that faith, and it's done to you. Your sins are forgiven. You walk out of here prepared. You walk out of here belonging to the one that you just received, his body and blood. It's in you. Live that way this week. Live that way the rest of your life as we patiently wait for the arrival of Jesus Christ who will make all things new. On the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. To those who belong to me, who believe in me, you're on the right team. God's love, God's love alone has the power to conquer all of the enemies of darkness. Keep the faith. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and together we'll sing this song.